You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday evenings at 5 and 7 p.m. You know, being seen, being noticed, being known is a powerful thing. Maybe you have some shyness about that, like you don't want to be seen, seen specifically or known specifically. Or you're fearful that if you are known, then no one will love you or no one will accept you. Those are real feelings. You know, some of us revel in being known, or at least uh, having our appearance be known, right? And so we work on curating ourselves in a way that's likable, right? That's, that's something some of us are working on. And so you might find yourself somewhere, somewhere in there. But I think if, if we find a safe enough place and we're secure enough with God, being seen and known can be freeing and liberating. Our church is designed to be that personal. I think the church is designed to be that personal, but specifically, our, we want our congregations to be big enough that people are entering into something, that they have a critical mass to them, but small enough that we foster that same kind of intimacy uh, that we're looking for. So you can still be known, you can still be connected to, and our cells are the same way. They're designed to uh, foster intimacy, but we want to keep connecting people to that intimacy and to that depth. We want more intimate, more deep people. And so our cells multiply when they grow to a certain size. We think that, and I think this too, the gospel, that is to say the good news of Jesus, the good news that Jesus is redeeming the whole world, is best given person to person, face to face, name to name, if you will. And that's exactly how Jesus came to us. Jesus came to us personally, in order that we might know him and that he might know us. God is with us so that we can know and be known. There's power, once again, in being seen, in being noticed, in being noticed and seen without judgment, without condemnation, without hatred. And that's a rare thing to find sometimes. And it's hard to, it's hard to put your whole mind around this, right? The whole thing is personal, but it's also cosmic. God is uh, using us in the world redemption project, but you matter to it. You matter to this big thing that's happening. That's bigger than you can imagine, right? It's complicated. You know, Jesus comes to us personally in order to save the whole world. You might say uh, Jesus is imminent and with us, but also transcendent. Right? Two ideas happening there. But I saw a great example of the, the power of being known this week. You may have followed this as well. It was surrounding the much-talked-about um, incident at the Lincoln Monument between Nathan Phillips, an American Indian elder of the Omaha tribe, a Vietnam-era veteran, attempting to quell a situation between these young MAGA hat-wearing Catholic teenagers, and, and honestly, the notoriously annoying black Hebrew-Israelites. Um, so there, there was some conflict happening, and Nathan was getting in the middle of it. I've written about this elsewhere. You can, online and so forth, you can find my, my things there if you wish. But what I saw here was a powerful, how powerful ideologies can be. How defensive we are. How quick we are to doubt even our own instinct. 
how quickly we see what we want to see instead of just seeing what is plain. I have a lot of opinions on this. We can talk about them later because I think they're important. I think that the content here is important. But the point that, that, that I want to make tonight is that it's hard to see each other when we're clouded by our own uh, fear, by our own uh, need to protect our own. It's hard to see people for who they are. The end of the story isn't just seeing one another, but that's the first step toward transformation and discipleship. And I want to focus on this example. It's Nathan Phillips up here. Again, an American Indian elder from the Omaha tribe, Vietnam-era veteran. Gained a lot of attention this week. Some of us learned about him for the first time. This viral video and image spread around. And I was watching two interviews, and I'll, I'll refrain from mentioning the, uh, the stations that, that hosted the interviews, so as not to distract you too much with that. Although you might be titillated just thinking about what I could be talking about. But I want to contrast them. Thanks to an insightful friend, I learned kind of the power of being known. Two stations interviewed him, and probably more than that, but the two I watched, there was two, and there was a striking contrast. One station named him as the elder of, an, of the Omaha tribe and made the appropriate distinction in calling him a member of a specific tribe, as opposed to the general Native American, or the, the, the slightly more specific yet still general American Indian. And they named the tribe out of respect. The interview also went out to note that he was a Vietnam-era veteran, something specific. And then the other interviewer just kind of generically mentioned his background and also kind of questioned even the story of his veteran status, too. And so you have this really odd uh, contrast between a specific way to honor an individual and then another way to generalize about them in a way that um, is, quite frankly, rather uh, uh, partisan. So uh, the person gets dehumanized, not known, not named, not um, even seen. You know, I don't want to get into more of the story, more of the story than that because there is more to say. And maybe we can talk about it later. Um, but I just want to know that seeing the man, naming him, knowing him, makes a big difference. Who we choose to humanize and who we choose not to really matters. And it was almost as if um, there's some discomfort in being able to name somebody and what it does to us. And so we rush to different kinds of conclusions that might help us feel a little bit more calm about what's happening in the world. The news outlets we pay attention to offer more or less dignity to certain individuals. I think Jesus offers us fundamental individual dignity and notice and attention, meeting us exactly where we are. And I want to mimic that too. And let it be known, we're at different places. And Jesus meets us right where we are and moves us from however far we are from his path, we're closer. And some of us are closer than others. And he didn't just do so in, the, in his incarnation, God becoming human. He does so in, the, in how he calls the first disciples in the gospel according to John. Let's read this account here from John chapter 1. Someone out loud, read these 10 verses. One of the two who heard what John said followed Jesus first person he found was his own brother Simon. We found the Messiah, he said. That means the anointed one, like our Lord Christ. 
He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him. So, he said, you're Simon, John's son, are you? We better call you Cephas. That means rock, like our word Peter. Philip and Nathaniel. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, where he found Philip. Follow me, he said to them. Philip came from Bethesda, the town where Andrew and Peter hailed from. Philip found Nathaniel. We found him, he said. The one Moses wrote about in the law, and the prophets too. We found him. It's Jesus, Joseph's son, from Nazareth. Really, replied Nathaniel, are you telling me that something good could come out of Nazareth? Come and see, replied Philip. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming towards him. Here he comes. He said, look at him. He's a real Israelite, genuine, genuine through and through. How did you get to know me, asked Nathaniel. Oh, replied Jesus, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip spoke to you. Rabbi, replied Nathaniel, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Wait a minute, said Jesus. Are you telling me that you believe just because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You'll see a lot more than that. In fact, he went on, I'm telling you the solemn truth. You'll see heaven opened. God's angels going up and down upon the Son of Man. I like the uh, friendly translation there from N.T. Wright. Um, I think it's called the Kingdom New Testament, or you can look it up online. The New Testament for everyone. It's a very interesting translation fit with uh, a variety of British colloquialisms. And they spell color with a U, for example, or favorite with a U for some reason. So, you know, and there's scones and things, all sorts of British things. And actually, that's New Testament. I know, when I think about other places, I always think, what do they eat there? When I visit, what do they eat? Love this personal account. It actually has some contrast. If you look at the other Gospels accounts, you'll see uh, more fanfare, more uh, less personal calling of the disciples. They're usually called all 12 at once. Here you have five of them, four of whom are mentioned. There's another one. We're not sure exactly who the other one is. Um, it's much more personal. It's a little bit more gradual. Not a big crowd. Again, not a lot of fanfare. Just, there's consciousness. There's conscientiousness happening here. Earlier in the chapter, John convinces Andrew and another disciple to follow Jesus. And then they find Simon Peter. And Andrew tells Peter, he's the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for. The anointed one. Like the one we call Christ, he says, right? It's almost as if they knew this Messiah would come in person. There's something familiar about it, something knowable about him. And he meets Simon Peter, and, and the son of John, and immediately names him again. Once more, he knows who he is, he knows where he comes from, knows where he grew up, what town he's coming from, and then he gives him a new name. And there's something personal occurring there. There's a transformation that's happening. Renaming is a common theme in the Bible, right? Abram becomes Abraham, Sarai becomes Sarah, Saul becomes Paul, and here, Peter becomes Cephas. Something new is happening. You know some people that maybe have changed their names as they mark a shift in their life, too. Some of us, when, if we get married, we change our name some way. We invent a new name or we take on someone else's name. Right? There's something powerful about that, too. Um, and you know people that have, you know... My friends started going by their full name as opposed to their childhood nickname. Right? When they decided they came of age. That was a common thing. Or you sign your name differently sometimes when you want to... Uh, Show, show yourself in a different light. 
name changing really matters. So just, just pay attention to that shift. And we also see this in the queer community too as well. People change their name in order to uh, express who they are. Um, or who, who, the, who they really are, what's happening inside of them. Right? That's a brave moment too of transformation, of movement again. And so um, this, this kind of renaming is, uh, you can see expressions of it throughout the Bible and throughout our society. Um, there's something that's happening here about Peter coming into his full self. Jesus naming it for him, you know. After this, Jesus goes to Galilee. This is the first explicit association of Jesus in Galilee in the Gospel of John. And he's already venturing away from Jerusalem and Bethlehem and Judea, where he was born, and up, up the coast to Galilee. He's from Bethlehem, but the people there reject him. This is a theme. His own people leave him, so he goes and he finds more acceptance, so to speak, up near the lake, up near Galilee. He finds the Greek named Philip. Philip's a Greek name. And they end up in this fishing town called Bethsaida. That's also where Peter and Andrew are from. Bilingual place, Jews and Greeks are living there. Philip follows right away, he's ready to go. And then he, follows, he finds Nathaniel and tells him again, the one we've been looking for, we found the one Moses wrote about, the, the one that all the prophets wrote about. But the whole Bible, the whole Hebrew Bible he's quoting, and he's saying the one that, that led, the, the one that the, these prophets, that Moses was leading up to is here. And then he names him, again, very personally. The Messiah is with us. Jesus, the son of Joseph, from Nazareth. There's a personal, familial story there. And so Philip calling uh, Jesus, this is a side note for those interested. If you're not, you can just, just, just forget it for a second. But in the Gospel of John, we're right in the first chapter, right? You have a little uh, nod to the infancy narrative of Jesus because they talk about him being Joseph's son. This unusual thing that's happening, or even a connection to the line of David, not strong themes in John, but there, present in the moment. And so there's, there's still some collective consciousness about what's happening in the greater story. So here, John's audience um, probably is conscious of the infancy narrative, as it were, even if it's not demonstrated in the text otherwise. That's just a side kind of Bible nerd thing that you might find stimulating or interesting or boring. And if that's the, you don't, you can just move on, you know. So that's, that's all for now. This deeply personal interaction that Jesus is someone we could know, someone from the town over, is scoffed at by Nathaniel, you know, who wonders how anything could come from a place like Nazareth. Or, or what I actually wrote down here, excuse me, who wonders uh, how anything good could come out of a shithole like Nazareth. Like, there's something happening there. He reduces the personal interaction to a stereotype. God isn't transcendent enough. He's just from the neighboring town. You know, he's from the other side of the tracks. If I'm Seattle, he's from Tacoma. If I'm in Philly, he's from Delaware County. Right? How could, how could God come to save the world and he's from, you know, he went to Darby. Right? How could that even be possible? It's, it's, it's mind-boggling for him. It's not just a prejudice against the town itself. It's that the Messiah could be so personal, so knowable, so relatable. It's embarrassing. 
but he's just one of us. And he's coming to like hang out with us, to fish with us, to be like us. That's not what we expected. Jesus will receive similarly hostile treatment later in the Gospels from Galileans too, so this is kind of a foreshadowing for that. But for what it's, for what it's worth, Philip finds Nathanael and encourages him and says, come and see, because Jesus said that to him too. Come and see. So he's modeling already what he's learned. Philip's already being this disciple. And then Nathanael approaches Jesus, and then Jesus calls him out from a, from a distance, and he says, there's the true Israelite in whom there is no deceit, genuine through and through, is what N.T. Wright says. Other translations say, in whom there is no deceit. How'd you get to know me? He asks. And here's the most powerful moment in the story for me. I saw you under the fig tree. I noticed you. I saw you. I related to you. I connected to you. And in that moment, the personal power of Jesus, being a human just like us, is made clear. This person-to-person connection happens. And so Nathaniel was wrong in dismissing Jesus as just another person from Nazareth. He sees him, and then he can be personally connected to the God of the world, engaging in this huge cosmic act, saving the whole world, and us specifically too. And then Nathan gets it. Nathaniel gets it. Declares, you're the son of God, the king of Israel. Nathaniel takes this personal moment and then makes it a little bit more transcendent. He's the son of God, stealing Caesar's title and giving it to Jesus, the king of Israel. Again, you have this new sovereignty, this new reign over the world being inaugurated in this moment. And you can add lots of meaning to this great and miraculous moment, which I tend to do. I want to take it to the cosmic level, to the, to the political level, you might say, and see how Jesus is causing a real revolution among us, the one that we so desperately want. But when it comes down to it, for me, the radical action is in Jesus getting to know Nathaniel, <coughs> seeing Nathaniel, and the reassurance that Jesus sees me, too. This is, not, this is off the script, I'm sorry. But there's this, have you ever seen the movie The Tree of Life? It's a really, un, it's, 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 it came out maybe like 10 years ago or something like that. And it, it has these big cosmic images. And then it focuses down on this unusual story. And so that's kind of how I see what's happening here. A big idea is happening, but the specifics matter. You matter in specificity to God. Even though this thing is happening, it's bigger than you can even imagine. The Son of God, the King of Israel, getting to know Nathaniel. It's about Nathaniel being known. He feels insignificant. And you can see this because people that are afraid of others mock them. So he mocks Jesus from being from another place, from being from a town he doesn't like before he even knows him. And Jesus still loves back and doesn't point out the sin of Nathaniel's prejudice and sees him and gets to know him and calls him forward. Jesus is delighted at faith. It's almost that he's delighted at the power of his own person. Are you telling me that you believe just because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? Is that why? You haven't seen anything yet. And Jesus then declares that he's the son of man. This end of the world savior who's going to bridge heaven and earth 
This phrase is commonly used in the Old Testament to symbolize the, the coming fulfillment of the kingdom of God. You might say Adam's son. You could translate the uh, son of man as Adam's son or the, or the human son or the human one. And it brings hope, a lot of hope, against all the despair that the Jewish people are feeling under Roman occupation and hope to you under what, you, what occupation you are suffering under, whether it's internal whether it is your uh, fear, your shame, your sadness, your loneliness, your anxiety, or something bigger, right? Violence, war, racism, patriarchy, sexism, these bigger things that are your under-occupation. Nevertheless, Jesus promises more, but in that moment, he brings faith forward simply by relating and by seeing. That's what we're going for. Thus Nathaniel, thus Peter, thus Philip, and Andrew become a conduit between God and humanity. Nathaniel's kind of the new Jacob, Jacob's ladder leading up to heaven. But unlike the Jacob of the Old Testament, there is no deceit in Nathaniel. There's a theme happening there. And we can follow along with that and, 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 and continue to be God with us for the whole region, for the whole world. Right? We, can be, we can play our part in being a conduit between God and humanity. You're you're that kind of ladder, if you will. The power of the story here is in being seen and in being known. It's the noticing, it's the paying attention to. What we need to discern is how we pay attention, who we pay attention to, how do we see each other. And we're seen and heard and paid attention to. And when we are, we know that God sees us too. I want you to know that. God knows you through God's body. The church can be a place then where people are known and seen and related to. And that alone can bring a sort of hope in the resurrection. Being seen is a powerful thing. Being known. Being noticed. I tell this, I'm going to tell you a personal story about how being noticed is going to save me um, and my faith. And it's meaningful to me. You may have heard it before. So if it's redundant to you and you say, I say this story all the time, just, just hold it again. You know, because it is really elemental to where I am now. Being known and not being judged, but included, was important for my ex the extension of my faith and my inclusion, even into this body. I was 18 years old. I visited Circle of Hope 14 years ago or something like that. I think close to 15 years ago. I, I have to ch in, in the story, I have to remember the number changes. And we, it, was, it was a whole different place there then. We were meeting upstairs at the time, a little shoebox upstairs, it felt like. And I was coming down from the L. It was kind of a treacherous walk. And I was looking for a place to be home, to find home. And for me, the thing that was on my mind was the, uh, was the war that was going on. I was looking for a place that opposed the war when so many Christians were just uh, gearing up for a fight for some reason. And it was right when the Iraq War started. And you had a, we're, we're reminded of this now since Dick, there's a Dick Cheney movie now. And so you have, uh, you have the trouble. And it was, it, you know, we didn't, it's, it's funny to think back because we didn't think it'd get, it could really get worse than that. We just thought this was the pinnacle of the, of the bad stuff. And then, you know, there's a tremendous creativity for evil. And so it, it got worse. But I was feeling a little disillusioned because I didn't know who to turn to despite these convictions that I had. I was looking for a place. 
And there are people today in the world looking for a place, maybe disillusioned people too, who are wondering how to follow Jesus, where to find Jesus. Um, for example, disillusioned people who oppose U.S. intervention in Venezuela are looking for a church, are looking for a place to belong. You know, the U.S. likes to get its hands involved in Latin America for some reason. Well, I, I have a suspicion as, as to why the reason is. You know, And we get involved and cause problems and then blame socialism. So that's the general... Um, <laughs> That's my uh, hot take for you. Um, it's actually a pretty lukewarm one, if you ask me. But and cir Circle of Hope kind of fit the bill. And that, it was a I'll admit, it was a little unusual for my evangelical uh, freshman year of college self. And so I needed a place to grow and develop and find my faith, and I was hoping this would end. And so I, I, I approached Joshua at the time. He was the pastor then, and I grilled him with some questions that... I don't, he answered gracefully, but I felt unsatisfied, so on the L ride home I said, no, nah, I'm not doing it. I don't want to be there. They're a little too weird. And it was strange. We are a little strange. So if you feel like that right now, okay. Like, been there. And I visited another church for a few months after that, and the pastor never really remembered my name, and I, I, I don't think I made myself very known, so I'm not nailing the guy. But, and it added insult to injury because it wasn't really in my bag anyway, so I, I didn't, I didn't, it didn't really work for me. And disillusioned, I didn't know if I could sustain my faith on my own. And you had these loud Christians on TV, and I was like, no, I'm not like that. You know, I, don't, I'm a, I, I feel different, but I don't know how to find a home or a place. And so I went back to Circle of Hope, and of course, I, I, I got a comment. I had to comment during talkback. After this, you can, you're free to make a comment as, as to what I'm saying. And when I was a normal person, I, uh, maybe I was never a normal person, but when I was not a pastor... I used to make talkback, I used to do talkback like every week. So if you're like that and you always want to make a comment about something, but you feel shy and apprehensive because you don't want to be that person that always talks, you can do it. You can talk back. I was that person too. And so we're connected in that way. So I made my comment, I forget what it was about, but Joshua, the, the important thing was Joshua named me. And he knew my name. And I looked different too. You know, he was a pastor that remembered my name. That counted to me. You know, and, I, and, and it wasn't, you know, I, I came in with long curly hair, and by that time, I had shaved my head for some reason. In college, you do odd things. But he still remembered me. And he, he saw me under the fig tree. That, that's what it felt like. There was a noticing and a paying attention to. And, so, and, that, and that's how the gospel for me was transmitted in the relationship. Because the abstractions that may have attracted me to the church or not, despite being philosophically satisfied and unsatisfied in some ways, were overcome by the relationship. The, 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 my, uh, my desire to be connected to God happened personally, not just abstractly. This whole thing only works person to person and face to face. There's no other way it works. And that experience counted. It made me feel like I count. You know, I don't think we do this perfectly because, you know, I forget people's names all the time. And we forget people's names. And sometimes we forget people altogether. But I want to keep moving us towards remembering and knowing and naming and seeing. Because this same idea, God is with us. So that we can know and be known. So let's spread some of that simple knowledge to one another. Trusting that the listening, the relating, the hearing, the fearless knowing will break down barriers that we put between us. The ones rooted in our stereotypes of other people that will be broken down. The stereotypes we have of people from Nazareth.
the ones that might make us jump to assumptions about what Nathan Phillips was doing, the ones that might make us consume our information from a, from a source that just seems to uh, appeal to us. So can we listen? Can we see? Can we name each other? Just like Jesus did with Peter, calling in Cephas. Just like Jesus did with Nathaniel, seeing him under the fig tree. God is with us. Let's be with each other. Let's pray and do some talk back, shall we? Thank you, Lord, for seeing us, knowing us, relating to us as individuals, loving us for who we are and where we are, and also moving us to love the whole world. May we uh, hold together this impossibility of your imminence and your transcendence, of our participation in this cosmic work of salvation, yet the personal work that's happening in us, too. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.